0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is going to be a very deep interview. Dennis Stevens, our chief methodologist and VP of Delivery, is here. Dennis, thanks for taking time out of your afternoon.
1: Dave, thanks for having me on. It's good. To, it's good to hear your voice.
0: So we we are going. We've already recorded the interview, but we're fixing the beginning because the interview went so deep and so complex that we want to try to give people a sense of what they're about to walk into. So, Dennis, how would you summarize where we just went?
1: You know, I think I think there's three sort of moving parts um, in the story that we just told. To simplify it, and it's it's really about um, shifting from strategy as a fixed direction, portfolio as a provider of oversight, and shoving work into the system and delivery beating to the drum placed above them, to building sort of a a system that can embrace change. And what that means is um, we want to be able to have We want to be able to build market sensing into our strategic planning. We want to be able to design the execution model to provide feedback and provide information up into strategic planning. And we want to be able to prioritize the work to maximize return. So we go from a very linear top-down system to one that's informing, providing information up to shape the work as it comes down.
0: All right, so, and if you're listening, so we're gonna go into this topic now, you're gonna hear the rest of the interview. We're also gonna record some additional ones where we go deeper on some of these subjects. So if you're listening to this and you want more, there will be more coming. So without further ado, here we go. This is gonna be kind of a heavy interview and we're gonna talk about some of the challenges that organizations are facing um, as they're becoming more complex, but as they're trying to deal with agile at the portfolio level and get traceability down. can you can you give like your summary of the challenges that they're facing right now that we were just talking about a few minutes ago?
1: Yeah, I might start it a little bit bottom up. Um,
0: okay,
1: agile works really really well when teams don't have a ton of dependencies to manage. So one of the things we try to do is form teams around independent pieces of work, so they can operate autonomously. Give them technologies so they can deploy. Have have teams that have um, everything needed to deliver an increment of value and point them at a problem and kind of let them go, right? That's kind of what we try to do with Agile. And and, and where that's challenging is in organizations that have tons of dependencies. And, and so there's a couple interesting things. Is, one is almost every organization we go into already has tons of dependencies. They, they're not, they don't have great technical craftsmanship. They don't have great technical um, independence. Um, they, they don't know how to break their work up so the teams are independent, so they're already stepping at each other. And what's happening with the with the digital world, with the digital transformation, as we were talking about, is those dependencies are becoming more and more and more common. My mobile team needs to hit the same API as my web team, and my web team um, and mobile team are hitting one API, which is from my uh, my AI engine, which is analyzing data to come up with um, you know some predictive behaviors that people need to do, and that's connecting um, content from my LMS. Back up through my phone or through my website to people. So there's like four or five different all moving parts, none of which are actually um, independent completely. All of them all talk together all the time. So-, so
0: so where people like coaches are coming in saying you have to get rid of all the dependencies, that's not even an option in some of these organizations. And that's why the stuff Troy was saying about larger teams, because he was referring back to stuff you had had presented previously.
1: Yeah, that's right. So so we we know the cost of the cost of communications when you have multiple people um on a team is high but we also know the cost of dependencies is high so there's actually some math that you can do saying like a 15 person team is actually less expensive than having one dependency outside of the team so yeah so build build teams to minimize dependencies because if you don't if you don't um uh encapsulate it within the team you have to orchestrate it outside the team and dependencies are expensive
0: right but 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 it's Unrealistic to assume that every organization is going to be able to get rid of all the dependencies and they they might still want to be able to use some aspects of agile or some practices and things like that to get some of the benefits of agile, right?
1: It's actually undesirable to make everything, um, make everybody have everything in every case. Okay. Um, you know, the, the example of the content for the LMS and the delivery method of learning content, uh, I need to have 10 different channels to get that content out and I'm not going to have 10 different content developers building that. So I need a system for my content developers to stage everything, make it aware of when it needs to be served up and then allow everybody else to consume it on demand.
0: Can you so- pause for a second? Because I want to I make sure that I heard this right because this is something that comes up in every single class I teach. I'm going to do a parallel to it. I have a design team. And rather than have a designer assigned to every single scrum team, it doesn't make sense to do that in some cases. I'm going to have one designer who's going to take work from all these teams and we're going to have to figure out how to cope with that.
1: Yeah. So there's so there's some conditions where having a designer on every team doesn't make economic sense or from a risk standpoint, maybe doesn't make sense. Um, I need my design to be so consistent and congruent across everybody from a from a brand standpoint or a a reputation standpoint that having a designer on every single team actually introduces more risk than it solves for. So I'm gonna have a design team and I'm gonna look at the work before it gets in front of the teams and farm it out to the teams that need to consume the design because it doesn't make sense to have independent designers. Or I'm not gonna have work every sprint for a designer on every team. So the cost of having that rare skill set on every single team is really high, particularly when they're idle and yeah. pragmatically, I might not be able to make them a quality enough T-shaped resource that I can use them in other things. So, you know, there's, there's some cases where it doesn't make sense to try to have every skill on every team.
0: Can I go kind of off the rails for a second with this? Cause yep. it's yep. making me, we'll come back to, to the actual topic, but I just want to ask this question. What you just said makes total sense from a business perspective, from a logic perspective. Um, and and it's because this is something, a problem that you have worked through many times and you've seen play out and you understand the ramifications of it. For an organization that is coming into Agile or you know, Scrum or whatever they're trying to do for the very first time, for them to just off the cuff say, nope, we're not doing those parts, we're only gonna have one of this and one of that and one of that because you know Dennis said it was fine. They've not gone through the process of figuring out what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. They don't have that level of insight. But if people like you are now advocating, you know, those rules that we said we had in the very beginning, sometimes they don't make sense. It is the responsible thing to say, but put in the wrong hands, it could lead to irresponsible behavior. Do you think that everybody has to find their way to this solution or is it okay to just leap over some of those steps because you've done the work for them? Wow.
1: That's a complicated question. (laughs) Um, sorry. (laughs) Obviously, obviously what I think they should do is hire somebody that's actually solved these classes of problems. Okay. Help them work their way through it. But I, but I have an agenda, right? Yeah. Trying to run a business. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think these are, are sort of known architectural type problems about around encapsulation and orchestration. And if you can have two things, one is if I can make my team be autonomous within some increment of value. So, you know, they used to talk about bimodal, the platform versus the APIs. The platform can deploy things independently. The APIs can deploy things independently. There is sometimes to get to some value, some feature I want to deliver, a need to insert something into both of those parts of the organization. Yeah. But each of those teams within constraints can actually operate autonomously. Okay. So that's like a first design criteria. I've got to be able to test and build, and meet the needs of being independent, okay. Um, okay yeah. then, and then you just then you just got the math things. Does it make sense to orchestrate it um, economically, from a risk standpoint, from a performance standpoint, or does it make sense to encapsulate it?
0: Yeah, and
1: it's just math, right? We need to make things as as encapsulated as possible, and then pay attention to where where you can't encapsulate. And okay. so you'll only orchestrate where you can. And then part of the journey, of transformation is where you can economically justify it, get rid of the orchestration barriers.
0: Okay, cool. Sorry for, for going down that rabbit hole there.
1: We no, can go no, back to the
0: original topic. <laughs>
1: it's, but it's real. It's really relevant because what happens now, if, if you look at this sort of going back to the starting point, if you look at yeah. the shelf life of a strategy, a customer strategy, a market strategy, um, and you talk about the things that you might need to do to achieve that strategy, The shelf life of the strategy is much shorter. And my ability to estimate what it takes and the guesses, the hypotheses, the assumptions I have to make to define that strategy, because of the pace of change, are more abstract. So how do I start to adapt how I do strategic planning and how I manage it through my portfolio down to my delivery teams when I have all these dependencies in the organization?
0: Well, and are they even at the, at the senior level, are they even like thinking of it as assumptions that we have to test and converting them into hypotheses and mapping that out and prioritizing it? Or are they still just saying, nope, my gut says, here's where we go.
1: You know, they're probably, they're probably saying, I talked to some customers. This is probably accurate. We think this is the direction we ought to go. Okay. So, so they're, they're probably saying that, but it's because they lack better tools than that.
0: Yeah. They don't know how to science it out.
1: Yeah. They like, but they don't even know what's available to them. Okay. What if I what if I could take a, an hour or so and really think through the two or three assumptions I'd like to validate in the next 30 to 60 to 90 days around this strategy I'm heading down? Yeah. And get really clear about my ability to deliver it and the market's desire to consume it. What if I could do that in the next 60 days? Would would an executive want that? Absolutely. But historically, the The lead times from the time they come up with an idea till they put something in the system is, is a year or longer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they'd want it, but it's going through the process to do what they have to do to get it that might be the the trippy part. I mean, it's almost like the pitchers are throwing the ball faster, and you're trying to teach the batters a way to slow down their interpretation of the pitch to decide if they should swing, but everything they've been taught up until now just says swing.
1: Yeah. That's right. And so, so some of the things they've tried, let's go build a green team or a dragon team or whatever you want to call it right. to go do this exploratory stuff and really check it out. And they prove it's a good idea, but there's still a year or two for me able to slip it into their system because their system has no adaptability built into it.
0: And a year is too so, long now.
1: And a year and a year is too long. Right. So, so it becomes interesting as you start to go from strategy to execution in trying to meet the needs of the market. What does that organization look like? And that's where we're talking about get the system of delivery adaptive so we can respond, really get portfolio to start to operate in a um in, where they're creating options and managing risk, not trying to shove work into the system. And then how do we start to define strategies to exploit that enhanced system of delivery as opposed to being hindered by the system of delivery?
0: Can you give an example of the, you just said creating options and managing risk. Can you give an example of that? Because I'm not sure everybody's going to track with that off the, off the bat.
1: Yeah, I've got, I've got a team. Um, I've got some money that I'm going to spend and I'm going to build some software around this part of the market in the next year. Okay. Um, what, I, what I'd like to do is I think that these first three features are a really good idea. But maybe these other two were a good idea, or maybe this other market's actually a better place to spend my money. Not sure. I'm going to go with my first guess, which is this one of these three features. How can I validate that in the next 90 days? So you put it into portfolio, and rather than it getting shoved on a roadmap for 12 months or 18 months out, it runs through the system rapidly. You get, you get the triggers back. You get the feedback back at the strategy level. And you can go, yep, it was a good idea, continue down the path, or let me change my mind now.
0: So, so, so instead of a year, what, what, like, what kind of time cycle are we talking about here?
1: Completely depends on the complexity of the organization in the marketplace.
0: Okay. I think
1: most organizations that can pivot in 90-day planning cycles, 90 days is probably pretty good in most cases.
0: So does that mean that instead of budgeting you know, for their 100 projects for the year, they're going to budget for their – 50 projects for 90 days and then do that again in 90 days?
1: I don't think all of it is really that adaptive. Okay. You know, when we've looked at this in the past, I think about 70% of an organization is actually pretty stable. Okay. You don't need that. You don't need that level of, of learning and adaptability on everything that you're doing at the strategy level. Okay. So, so you might be pivoting that fast down inside the delivery, but, but the outcomes are defined in that case. So there's some case at the strategy level where you're testing strategies Maybe the portfolio you're testing outcomes Okay. and maybe the delivery team you're testing how to deliver those outcomes. So there's probably three different areas where you're creating options okay. and responding. Okay. Is, it, is
0: that too complicated? Or that it's complicated, but I think for the people that are that are still with, listening to the, this podcast is going to resonate with certain people. And I think for those folks, what you're saying is going to totally track. So they yeah, create so the, the optionality very- and then what happens after that?
1: Yeah, then, then then you schedule your learning early. You sequence the work through okay. to 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 stop investing in bad options early and start investing in better options as quickly as you can. And portfolio becomes about risk management and um and communicating information up and down.
0: Well, and you just said and schedule the learning. That's probably not the way most people think of it either. Yeah, they're trying to sequence, they're trying
1: to shove work into the system instead of instead of scheduling the things that will help us learn the most to improve our decision making. So so I want to burn my risks down early. I want to accelerate my learning through the system rather than double down on bad assumptions.
0: So the thing for me that strikes me about this is it's almost like One of the things that happened when I read Lean Startup was I felt like I was reading not about how to create a successful product, but how to to create a successful company that could do whatever people wanted it to do. And it sounds to me like you're saying that at the senior level, at the portfolio level, whoever's doing that planning now, it's not make the right bet, know the right thing, see into the future and know what people are going to have, but create an environment where we keep placing bets and adapting faster and faster and faster. So it's The thing that you're producing is not the right bet, but a more efficient machine. That's right. Okay. Because that's a pretty different, a pretty big shift for what we had, you know, 20, 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, 20 or 30 years ago was probably more knowable. Okay. Um, uh, But also what's really interesting is I think it was easier to change directions too. You had fewer dependencies within the system. And you didn't
0: and the and, and the ramp up time, you're not gonna have somebody come and Uber your milkshake in the middle of the day. Like that's not that's gonna, right. You're gonna see that coming from a while down the road. That's path. right. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna get to a point where they're kind of prioritizing their learning. They're figuring out how to make smarter bets. They're adapting as much as they have to within that channel that they're focused on towards the outcome they want to achieve. Um, and we're gonna try to get traceability all the way down to the team level as well
1: you'll get you'll get feedback all the way down to the delivery level, whether it's your team or somebody else's work, some other product or somebody else's product that you're working from, yep.
0: Okay. And so what does this do for the organization as a whole? Like, I mean, this is a pretty, it's a pretty big shift in how they look at the work. It's a pretty big shift in how all the senior leaders approach their work. I don't even know if you'd call this agile or not anymore, but um, what does this do for the company? Because it's a lot of change.
1: Yeah, so I think it's hard. And that's why we talk we try to build it from the bottom up, right? Let's get the okay. delivery teams able to deliver. let's understand what our capacity is. Let's be able to actually provide options. So we talk about our base camp too being smaller batches. Right. Like right? So it takes about sixty days or I'm sorry, it takes takes about six months to get an organization where they can start to even operate in smaller, better sequence batches. Then you start to get the portfolio team to really begin to provide those that optionality to the strategic planning. Okay. And and so so you build it all the way up as you solve each problem um, at, at each level it actually exposes the opportunity to take advantage of the top layer. What's fascinating to me is if you don't do this, delivery is still gonna get more and more and more complex. Yeah. Delivering on your strategy will become more and more difficult knowledge and design your system for for feedback and ambiguity in scheduling. Okay. So we have to build this out.
0: All right, so all this stuff that we're talking about with this massive change, this doesn't I don't understand how this is going to help them with the complexity they're facing with the digitization and everything else that's going on. This is becoming more efficient in placing hopefully smarter bets, but they still is it is it actually touching the complexity that they're dealing with or is that just another noise factor for them to cope with?
1: Building the adaptability into the system of delivery. Yeah. Is the only way they're going to deal with the complexity. Of, of the interconnectedness of the interdependencies. Okay. So what happens now is strategy has to be dependency aware and capacity aware as it's getting laid out. So I don't know if that makes sense, but but I can't just come up with seven ideas and shove it down and you guys go figure it out.
0: <laughs> well, all right, so let's let's slow it down a little bit. You say that it has to become dependency aware and capacity aware. So dependency aware meaning we know there's these dependencies we can't remove, we've already talked about that. Um, what about capacity where does that mean that management now has to understand that they can't just snap their fingers and assume there's going to be bodies to do all the work? Well, a major, a major
1: thing that we're doing, um, and we do a lot of it. at Base Camp one is by creating stable teams right. that stay together, they can become predictable in their delivery. When you can become predictable in the smaller pieces, you can start to then lay out plans that, that are capacity aware, um. We have to then start looking at our ideas, the things, the outcomes we're going for strategically and sort of pay attention to what our ability to deliver on that is. Um, we may have to change what our capacity looks like, um, but you know, I'm in three different clients right now looking at a sort of common problem where their digital work is being hindered by the rate that a platform team, a shared platform team can serve workup. It's not the individual strategies they're investing in. And there's not visibility at the strategic planning layer about that type of complexity. It becomes an interesting argument. Well, just fix it. You know, that's what we're paying the technology people to do.
0: So there was a period where the kind of approach was, you know, we, now we can hire people from offshore. We've got a 24-hour work cycle. The human resource is an unlimited sea of capacity. We can always find people. And that's not the case. You can find people, but they might not have the skills or abilities you need them to have. And if you're talking about stable teams, this means that the entire business world is going to have to accept that, you know what? There might be an unlimited amount of people, but they're not all the people we should hire. And they can't all do the work. And you've got a limited amount of throughput that you can get out of the people you have.
1: They're all capacity constrained anyway. These strategies are all capacity constrained anyway it's just that who's making the decision about what's actually going to get out the door today right. is somebody inside of an it shop or offshore in india okay it's 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 not it's not being decided at the strategic planning level
0: so this is another thing that they're going to have to become more mature about thinking through they can't just snap you know demand i want more get me more all the time
1: yeah and this is this is where we talked about um, the portfolio group becoming a broker of information, becoming a risk management group. Um, I need to add more and more and more users through these seven channels to my system. And in order to do that, I've got to add all this functionality to the place that keeps track of my personally identifiable information and my credit card payment system. So I've got to make those things, I'm, but you can't strain those things because they can't break because you can't take the reputation risk of your names and email addresses and passwords getting out or the credit card information getting out. Does that make sense?
0: It makes sense. And I want to go back there. I was busy trying to type up this sentence because it, it seemed really impactful to me. You said the portfolio group is a broker of information. So can you talk a little bit about the portfolio group? Is this what the PMO becomes now? Or is this a completely separate thing? Like who's involved? I'm going to say it's what the PMO becomes. Okay. Yep. So rather than the governance, like do it this way organization that a lot of PMOs are, they're brokers of information, meaning they're collecting the data, they're they're mansplaining it back to the company and saying, look, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. You really want to do that.
1: Do the work the best way you can to do the work, but here's the um, immutable information that I need. Here's the things that I need every single time so I can orchestrate the work across the organization so I can help us make promises to the business we can keep, so I can maximize our our uh, return on investment. I really need information about risk and performance at the portfolio level, so I can match it up with um, expectations around value delivered at the strategy level.
0: So does this mean that we need data scientists in the PMO? Yeah,
1: probably could have used them 15 years ago. <laughs>
0: Okay. Right. Now it's just too damn late. <laughs>
1: um, but, but yeah, it becomes, it becomes data driven. And we may be a few years out from having data scientists. In there. you know, if you, you mentioned Troy McGinnis earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Troy, Troy would tell you that we should have a data, data scientists in there 15 years ago.
0: Right. And if you, if, if every organization, I mean, if people, if all the companies had somebody like Troy, they're telling them like, look, this is what's going to happen if you pull this this way. Um, they'd either be firing him every day or they'd be a lot smarter in what they were doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, you only need to use data to plan this and you only need to get into sort of understanding how to measure value and hypotheses if you want to outperform your competition and survive for 10 more years. I mean, other than that, I don't think it's that important.
0: So is is does that mean that we're entering sort of an era where it's sort of like hyper-efficiency becomes the focus? Like, how do I take this company and treat it like a high performing, you know, sports or racing car. Like I'm going to just bend this foil this way and it's going to have, give us like 0.08% of improvement. And that's going to be the thing that gets us around the lap faster.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think if it's hyper-efficiency or if it's.
0: Or maybe it's, it's just efficiency. I don't know. It just, it sounds like think, so th- focused on I, I think tuning. I think
1: it's just efficiency. I think, but, but I think, I think it's about operating an ambiguity. I don't know how fast it's going to take to do this work. I have more dependencies that increases uncertainty. I have to sequence the work through my system differently. I don't even know if the market really wants this feature that I'm adding. I don't know if this customer is the next most valuable customer. I'm making assumptions about all of that. yeah. And with all of it changing sort of rapidly, I can't afford to wait six months or a year, 18 months to find out what assumptions that I made were wrong about the performance of my system or about the desirability of a feature or a market. Okay. I I have to build in a system that connects those things much tighter.
0: Okay. So one of the things that I'm thinking about as we're talking through this is you're very much at the cutting edge of – or the, the leading edge of the envelope in terms of how this stuff is changing. You're seeing, because you, you've been working at it so long, you're working with companies on these performance issues. But if I'm somebody who's listening to this podcast, and I'm somebody who's stuck in middle management or a PMO, or even who's actually working on the strategic portfolio level of planning, um, and I'm just trying to get a stable team in place, like what what do I do? How do yeah. I get started moving towards this? Because it, it is amazing to talk about, and we could go on about this for hours, but the further out into the ocean we go, the more we're going to leave people going like, yeah, I can't do that.
1: Yep. So I think what's really interesting is is we have to start to have these conversations from the PMO up, okay? because the, the PMO can't deliver what's being asked of them unless they can get strategy being shaped in the new form and fashion. Okay. So, So they have to understand what the capacity of their teams are, how they're going to manage dependencies, where the risk is in the market, where the risk is in the future. They're going to have to start leveraging the system to learn what the truth is and to take advantage of the uncertainty in the market. And they're going to have to start communicating context and constraints as part of the strategic planning process. More frequently, so that we can so we can adapt our strategies as we're learning. Um, the the problems that we have in PMOs can't be solved with the current set of tools that we're using, and and the and most PMOs are feeling this pressure.
0: Yeah, they're getting
1: more and more unreasonable stuff, having to move faster, more things changing, failing to hit their deadlines more often, failing to deliver the value expected more often.
0: Well, I think it's more than that, too. I mean, it's easy to bag on the PMO because I do feel like a lot of them are like a dead man walking. They don't know why they're there in the first place anymore. But they're trying to feed information to a senior level of the organization that doesn't necessarily understand all the stuff you were just talking about. So it's easy to like, you know, slag the PMO for giving bad reports. But the people upstairs don't know reports to ask for either.
1: Yeah, they're they're operating. We find this all the time in our in our. Consulting practice, right? Everybody thinks that executives are so unreasonable, that management is so unreasonable. But the reality is they're operating with the best information they have. Yeah. Um, if we could start to give them better information, they would like to make better decisions. So I think it's up to our PMOs to start to learn what that looks like
0: and to help um, them see that they need. And, I, I feel and, like they, the senior leadership doesn't always know that they don't have good information. That's right. So teaching them to ask different questions is part of it too. Yeah. Wow, this is cool. This is a lot, man. Um, so let's say that somebody was listening to this and they want to get in touch with you to ask you more questions about this. What's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Um, Dennis at leadingagile.com.
0: Okay. I'm gonna make sure to include a link to that and to your bio page on the site and to your LinkedIn as well. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This was this was kind of a heavy talk, but hopefully we can do more of them.
1: Yeah, I hope it was useful. You know, it's interesting is a lot of this is stuff we've been talking about for 10 or 15 years. I'm actually looking at a talk that Troy and I did together 10 years ago. Wow. Um, on agile and the nature of decision-making, okay. risk man- risk management and value engineering in the enterprise. And it's, it's the same stuff we've been talking about and trying to implement. Um,
0: He's just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up.
1: Well, we're, we're, what we're starting to see is that, is that the number of places where this type of thinking is necessary in order to be successful is increasing. Right.
0: Yeah. This is cool. Well, thanks for doing this, man. All right. Cool. Thanks.